to 15. Do you want me to read the whole block or 8 to 13? Okay, we're going to go the whole thing. You'll find it on page 970. And if you'd like a Bible, people are bringing them around now. So just put your hand in the air. Lots of people will be doing that, so don't be embarrassed. And we're going to read Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15, which is on page 970 if you're in one of the church Bibles. Page 970. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, thanks, Lizzie. Thanks for adding those verses. Let me just uh, start this. Uh, there's, uh, there's lots of stuff out there telling you how to pray. And um, uh, there's so much out there, actually, if you start looking around. It's, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. Uh, it's often hard to know where to start. Uh, but Jesus says, the Lord's Prayer is the answer to the age-old question, how do I pray? Uh, have a look at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Uh, so I wanted today to be fairly practical. We looked at this passage uh, in a slightly wider context last week. Uh, so that's why I've given you a handout. Uh, if you read that, you probably don't need to listen. Uh, you can uh, head off home now early if you like. Um, but uh, I want us to be able to take away this prayer and learn how to pray uh, when we go today. So uh, let me pray as we begin, and then let's go through. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that your name would be glorified and lifted up high as we think and study it now. We pray that you would show us how to pray, so that we may have a deeper love and relationship with you for your glory and for our sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's interesting, no one's even asked Jesus in this passage how you should pray. Uh, he just seems to tell us. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus is directly asked how you should pray, and he gives a very similar version to the Lord's Prayer there. 
Uh, the early church adopted the Lord's Prayer, uh, both as a model for prayer, but also as a set prayer, a, a liturgy. Uh, so in uh, Luke's Gospel, he says, uh, sorry, Matthew's Gospel, where he says here, he says, this then is how you should pray. Uh, he's setting up a kind of model. This is an example of the way in which you can pray. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, uh, it's chapter 11, verse 2, if you want to look it up, uh, he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, there's a sense that these are the exact words you can say. This is all you need in some sense. Uh, you can repeat them and learn them. Sometimes just all we need to say is just to repeat these words. Perhaps when we've got no other words left because we're so full of joy and excited that we, don't, we can't get anything straight out, or when we're in the depth of sadness and anxiety, these are all the words we need to pray. But it's also a model, and that's the uh, example I think we're given in Matthew uh, here that we're looking at. Uh, and it models for us the elements of a loyal and wonderful prayer life. Uh, that's why I've given you the handout. You can see it, uh, and you can see how we've uh, broken it up. And we can, we're going to take each section today and just briefly think through them. Uh, and in our own prayer lives, we can take each section and expand them and change them and adapt them every day of our lives if we wanted to, endlessly, holding to the model of how Jesus taught us to pray but enjoying God fully as we talk to him in prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that is honouring to God and it is wonderful for us. It's honouring to God and it's wonderful for us. Uh, so that's why it's worth going through. Uh, most people recognise when you look at the Lord's Prayer that it's, it's in two halves and it's, it's kind of difficult a bit like in a football match to play the second half before you've played the first half that's as far as my football knowledge goes uh, and so I think the model is deliberate as we look at the Lord's prayer that we have a first half and a second half and so that's where we're going to start uh, the first half is all for the glory of God so I uh, just scan through it hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done it's all for the glory of God it's about God and his work the second half is about our needs, so give us today, or forgive us, or lead us, or deliver us. So it's a helpful balance as we begin, that even in our prayer life, as it should be in all of our life, in everything we do, it is all for the glory of God. That is where we start. Uh, we're not so sort of self-absorbed, or having such a high view of ourselves uh, or thinking we're so desperate we must, it's just all about me, I need God's help, that we get straight to the shopping list. No, he is worthy of our affection and our attention and our adoration before all of our needs and wants. And so pray first for the glory of God. That is what we truly need. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, Jesus says, begin by focusing your attention and bringing glory to God before yourselves. So in prayer, we put God's glory before our needs. And why wouldn't we? Because as we're about to see, we have a heavenly Father. So let's get on to the elements of the prayer. Our Father in heaven. God is not a far-off, divine, unrelatable being. Or at least he's not to those who approach him in Christ. Jesus, throughout his life, constantly calls God his Father. He is intimate. 
He is close. He is trusting. He is secure in his relationship with his father. And so he calls him Father God. And now he gives us this model of prayer and he says, that is the same closeness and intimacy you can have. It's an extraordinary idea, actually. If, if we, we're so used to it, we overlook it. But it's an extraordinary idea that we, humanity, can speak to the creator of the entire universe and time and call him our father. Uh, fatherhood in uh, Jewish tradition was, was important. Uh, a, fa- a good father would be seen to be strong and providing for their family. He'd be loyal to them and loving. He'd be utterly trustworthy. And he would set a model, an example, of how his children were to grow up and to live as well. Uh, the word here is translated from, uh, translated from the word Abba. Uh, uh, it's sometimes argued to, to have a really specific meaning, uh, perhaps like a sort of childlike, sentimental name. But it's actually most likely just, it's probably the only word that was generally used for father in those days. Uh, so used by young children and adults alike towards their own earthly fathers. So the word father is just uh, simply a good one. Uh, it's not old man up there, can you sort me out because I, I need a job. Uh, and it's not sort of, uh, daddy, I've got no idea, I just need something. It's a bit of everything. It's both the, please help me when I'm an adult, and it's the, come to me with nothing, I'm a toddler and I need your love and support. So when it's applied to God, it communicates everything good about a father. The sentimental attachment and love, the strong, protective, loyal trustworthiness. Uh, It represents the one who turns to their adult father for advice or financial help or whatever it might be. It's the one who runs to their father as a toddler with grazers on their knees. It's our heavenly father. It communicates respect and love. And it's a joy to be able to call him that through Christ. When you pray, says Jesus, we pray our Father. Uh, We're taken, though, straight from the intimacy of Father, straight into heaven. So it's a privilege to be able to call him our Father, but we don't forget he's not just an earthly Father, he is our heavenly Father. We're taken to the glory and the heights of heaven. We pray to a Father who is warm and we are intimate with through Christ who we respect for they provide and, and, and care for us. But he's not just an earthly father. It's actually better than that. He's not frail. He's not weak. He doesn't make mistakes. He is our heavenly father, our father in heaven. So our prayers can be intimate. They can be respectful, but they are also glorious for they are addressed to a father in heaven. Uh, I think practically also it helps us think when we pray to think who we are praying to. Uh, I think often we, we, we might just say, dear God, and, and get into our prayer. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray to your heavenly father, our father. It is a privilege and a joy. And we should 
dwell deeply on who we are praying to when we pray. Uh, There's examples in scripture of uh, calling on the spirit, uh, on thanking Jesus for all he's done. They are good examples of prayer. But but Jesus here declares, when you pray, pray to your father. It's what he models in his life. Uh, The spirit loves to show us God the father through Jesus the son. Jesus is interceding for us now, between us and God the Father. He wants the glory to go to the Father. So on the whole, not exclusively, but on the whole, let us think deeply about our Heavenly Father to whom all glory goes towards when we pray our prayers. So it's not impersonal, it's personal, it's relational, and it's to our Heavenly Father in heaven. And after all, as we're about to see, all things are for his glory. So he is worth praying to. So into the uh, first element of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Uh, Hallowed carries the idea of sort of to magnify fully. Uh, It's... And it's the name of the Father that is to be magnified. Hallowed be your name. Magnify your name. And the name in this context uh, stands for all that somebody is. It's not literally just hold a big name up. It represents and declares the full character and work of God. So when we begin to pray, we're asking that the very nature and character of our Father in heaven be known and amplified across our world. It's a prayer exalting God's holiness and his justice and his righteousness and his love and his compassion. Just think of lots of big words and praise God for he is that, for his grace and his mercy and his glory and his might. We lift up the character of God when we pray, hallowed be your name. And then next we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, This is a prayer now that longs for the kingdom of God to come. That longs for God's will to be done. Uh, This whole sermon of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, is helping a believer to align our whole lives to the will of God. it's a sermon that allows us to think through how we can live now in a way that represents uh, the eternal kingdom, how we will always be. On the day when Jesus returns, he brings judgment on all sin. He will bring about a full and a perfect world for us all to enjoy. And that is what we long for. When we see the full glory of God and we live through Christ Uh, in perfect union with him, where we will see his will done at every step. There'll be no mistakes. Where every knee will bow and bring glory and majesty to his name and his rule. It is a prayer that all evil will be done away with. Your kingdom come, your will be done. For the people in the kingdom to be gladly doing the will of God that we'll no longer sin or make mistakes or or trip up. We're praying that we will live according to God's will for his kingdom to come. It's a prayer, if you like, to fully enjoy what we've already been made in Christ. Uh, As we know, today, Christians, uh, we find ourselves in a world that we do not belong to. 
We are in this world, but we belong to the eternal kingdom with God. We have been saved from this world, from sin and from death, by repenting and believing in Jesus. But we still live in this world. Our mortal bodies are, are, are still sin. We still go against God's will. Yet we long for the day when we won't. So we pray, King, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Bring it. Uh, when the full measure of God's people are saved, then the kingdom will come. And that will be a great day. And it's a day we pray for and ask for God to bring. And as we wait, we pray that all of God's people will obey and be faithful to the will of God in everything. It's a prayer that God would act and change our world for his glory, for his kingdom to come. So in, like, in short, if you like, we pray for Jesus to return and that while we wait, we would live and see God's kingdom and will being done. Uh, next, we move on to give us this day our daily bread. So we move from giving the glory to God, calling on his will and his work to be done for his glory, to our needs now. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, simple prayer, isn't it? Simply for the basics of life. Uh, bread represents the, the essentials that we all need to survive. Uh, in the context of this passage, just have a look back to verse 7. We, we need to remember, Jesus just introduced the prayer by saying, When you pray, do not keep on babbling, just talking on and on, like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Our Father in heaven knows our needs and our hearts. We don't need to nag him or convince him or go on at him. We simply ask. Give us the bread we need. It's wonderfully freeing for the Christian, isn't it? Of course we need to work for a living to provide for our families. Uh, but in the grand scheme of eternity, we need not worry about anything at all. We simply ask God to give us what we need. And we trust him with his answer. It's exactly what Jesus is about to go on. Uh, I think we're looking at this next week. Uh, skim down to verse 25 of this chapter. Jesus is about to say, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? We belong to an eternity, to a kingdom of God. And we are loved by the Heavenly Father who rules that kingdom, whose name is to be magnified across this world, whose kingdom will come, whose will will be done. Give us what we need, Father. We trust you. Such a simple and a freeing prayer. Uh, it is a hard prayer to pray, though, of course. Uh, sometimes we don't get what we think we need. Uh, many of us here will feel hungry, not necessarily just for bread, for all sorts of things. Many of us are hugely blessed in material and physical wealth, unlike we've seen in uh, all of history, really. But, but still, even in that context, uh, illness can take a loved one. 
Some parts of the world, people literally are starving while still trusting in the name of Jesus. And so this prayer does have an eternal perspective. We are trusting God for our daily need, our daily bread. But we have an eternal perspective. Jesus will say more about this in the, in the worry passage that's coming up. But you don't need to worry about the here and now. Just pray for what you need. Trust God with what you get. And look forward to the joy that is to come. So we simply ask and we trust. For our Father is an almighty God. And he knows what we need eternally. And he is faithful. Give us our daily bread. It's a call for his provision. And our commitment to trust his answer in the light of eternity. It's a prayer that frees us from worry about the everyday things, the life we live, so that rather we may concentrate on something else he's going to talk about soon, which is seeking the kingdom of God. Simply ask and seek the kingdom of God, trusting his answer as we go. Uh, the next part of the prayer, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, our debts here uh, holds the same understanding as uh, forgiving us of our sins. Uh, our sin puts a, a separation between us and God, our Father, uh, because he is just and right. And so a price has to be paid to redress that balance, to put us back in relationship with God. So we, we are in debt to God. So without forgiveness, we will be punished. But in Jesus, as the disciples are about to find out, uh, he will become the saviour. He will be the one that pays the price. He will be the one that cancels our debt through his death and his resurrection on our behalf. He died so that we don't have to. And if that's the case, if that's the only way back to God, then asking for God's forgiveness to cancel our debt is the only hope we have in this life. Uh, the Christian begins their faith in repentance, and we continue our faith in repentance, regularly asking God for his forgiveness. It's not a sort of magic formula. If I make sure I say sorry enough times, or forgiveness in the right way, or at the right times, and in some way that will earn my salvation, that's legalism or salvation by works. No, Jesus died once for our sins, the debt is paid and cancelled so that we may be forgiven. But our ongoing life lives a life in response to that grace. And that's seen in, uh, in obedience to his will, which Jesus talks a lot about. But it's also seen in our understanding of our poverty and spirit. And so we come to our Heavenly Father and we regularly ask for his forgiveness. For we know we already have it in Christ but our life is marked by one of humility and repentance before God. It's also a regular recognition of our repentance and our need for forgiveness and salvation that leads us to live a life that is also willing to forgive. Jesus ties those two things together. It's such a significant principle that even after the prayer, Jesus reminds us what this issue of forgiveness means. So have a look at verse 14. Uh, he clarifies what he means in the prayer. Uh, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Uh, It's not. It can't be from the context of this passage. It can't be that as we have to forgive someone in order to be forgiven ourselves. But rather, we are so truly rejoicing and overjoyed at the forgiveness we've been shown already by Jesus that we can't help but live a life that is forgiving of others. It's a sign of the forgiveness we've already received. Uh, It's a bit like the parable Jesus told um, of a king who who calls his servant who owes him a huge debt. Uh, it's, 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 It's massive, and the guy's just can't pay it back and he throws himself at the feet of the king and he asks for mercy he says please you've got to give me more time you've got to cancel my debt and the king says i'll have mercy the debt is cancelled that servant then leaves and finds someone who owes him just a tiny amount of money and he's furious with him shows him no mercy whatsoever so the king calls him back and in effect says clearly you didn't have a clue of what was going on there and puts him in prison until a debt can be repaid. If you've been forgiven much, our life will be able to forgive others in response. An attitude that fully comprehends all that Jesus has done for us, all that price that has been paid by him, his death on our behalf, it will change our attitude towards others similarly. It's not easy to forgive others who have hurt us, is it? But when that happens, and when it's hard, we're to reflect on all that Jesus has done for us, on the debt that he has paid. That's what this prayer asks. Forgive us as we forgive others. Uh, So that means we can forgive other people in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our workplace, in our schools. It's such an important prayer to pray, isn't it? We need help with this. Forgive us as we forgive others. So we ask for forgiveness. And we ask that our lives match the forgiveness we have been shown, the grace, by forgiving others as well. Uh, Next, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, Here we pray for our Heavenly Father to lead us away from temptation, uh, away from the trials that cause us to sin, uh, away from the plots of the evil one who loves to see Jesus' people rebel and sin and fail, away from him, and, and it's a prayer for us to be delivered. Lead us away from sin and temptation towards instead the kingdom of your will, of our Father. Uh, I wonder how much time we devote to praying that we won't fall into sin and temptation. I know it's easy, easier to ask for forgiveness rather than pray we avoid it in the first place. So we pray to be freed from temptation, to live a life in the light of the coming kingdom and according to God's will. Uh, so we simply ask, for help in avoiding the temptations we face. I don't know what they are for you. Uh, Maybe it's lust, maybe it's anger, or worry, or pride, or greed. Some of the things Jesus has been raising in his sermon already. 
And so we rely on God to help us. And so we pray. So there it is. Uh, that is our model for prayer. It's simple at one level. I've tried to make it simple with a handout. You don't have to remember everything I've said. But we can pray through this prayer. We can apply it to our lives and our needs. And we can remember to glorify God first. Uh, we don't need to get bogged down in self-pity of this world. We are lifted up by this prayer to the glory of God. But there is one final thing uh, that we need to note about this prayer. Martin already mentioned it when he prayed. And it's a, a prayer that is played, uh, prayed plurally. There's lots of our and us. There isn't much I or me. In fact, there's none. Uh, the people of God, Christians, we're not individuals on our own anymore. We're not only concerned for ourselves. We pray for daily bread, for forgiveness, for leading, not for me, 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 but for us, us, us. Even when we're praying on our own, which Jesus has just said is a good way to pray, secretly, behind closed doors, it's helpful to pray in a plural way, as well as individuals. So when we pray in the morning, in the quiet of the day, we can still, still pray, Our Father, for our church family. We're not individuals, we're united in Jesus. Uh, who's to say that, when, uh, that your prayer for us to avoid temptation doesn't save someone else in your family from some terrible sin? Who's to say that you, your prayer for uh, God's will to be done amongst us doesn't mean that our church is directed more rightly in God's ways and will. Who's to say that your prayer for forgive us doesn't help your spouse find forgiveness in Christ afresh? Our problems are not the only problems in the world. Our temptations and trials are not the worst that anyone has ever faced. God is not exclusive just to you or to me. He is our Father. And so together we lift up our heads to our Father in heaven and pray, not us, sorry, not I, but us. So I'm going to pray now as we close. And uh, I encourage us all to uh, think this week how can we pray as Jesus taught us to pray and to enjoy our faith together as Christians before the glory of God this week. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.